J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello. I'm J.T. Crowley, and I'm delighted to welcome on the show today Dr. Marnix Wells from Croydon, south of London in the United Kingdom. His book, Henzui, The Dower of Unity in the Birth of the Chinese Emperor, is simply phenomenal. His book is about a young boy growing up in exile, becoming China's first Augustan emperor, Qin Shuanzi. The story is set around 250 BC in the China Warring Kingdoms. When you look deeper into the book, you realize that the overriding storyline is about a pheasant cap master, grand unity, and the nine Augustans, linking politics and philosophy to religion in ancient China. Dr. Marnix describes the storylines in his phenomenal book of his as scheming, ruthless and idealistic. His interest in ancient Chinese history, art, goes back to his mother's teenage copy of The Importance of Living by Lin Yung-Tang. As a youngster, he loved going onto archaeological digs for county museums. At Oxford University, he obtained his first degree in Chinese and later a PhD from London School of Oriental and African Studies. He worked as a shipping manager in the Far East, where he acquired local knowledge of the people and their heritage. He's given numerous lectures and authored several papers and books. So let's invite him on the show to talk about this outstanding book, he's written, and a little bit about his fascinating life. Dr. Marnix, come and join me. Uh, thank you, John. Great to be here in this uh, not-so-sunny morning, but nice to see you. And uh, it gets a sympathetic ear for what I have to say, um, which many people may find somewhat unusual. It's an unusual book. It's certainly not a book to a bedtime read story. It's a book to um, learn about ancient China's religion and its cultural history. That's what it's really about. And it's done through this exiled young person, this young boy. Um, Marnix, uh, before we get into this brilliant, absorbing book of yours, who was Xin Shihunze, the Yellow Emperor, the first Agondan Emperor, or you well, say unified China? Yeah. Who was he? Um, well, this is all a bit of a mystery because most of the records were destroyed after the fall of Qin, which ended in a bit of a holocaust or a, a inferno uh, when they... Uh, the future Han dynasty uh, took over and put uh, Xianyang, which is the, the Qin capital, which is very close to what was now Xi'an in the uh, west uh, part of central China, which along the Yellow River. And um, 
the the famous Han historian uh, Sima Chen. He gave a a, a short biography, but um, most of the details uh, we are dependent uh, only on him, because as I say, so many of the records were destroyed. Uh, this is now being remedied somewhat by the discovery of tombs with silk manuscripts as miraculously preserved inside from that period. And they show <clears throat> a lot of connections with the Haguanza, <clears throat> the pheasant cap master, and his writings, which I, I estimate in the period from about 250 BC to 221 BC, which was the date in which Qin conquered the last of the six kingdoms and <clears throat> started the uh, unified Chinese empire, which in some form has persisted over the last 2,000 years. And they still um, see this as, as the foundation of the unified China. Although by in mythology, of course, it goes back in their estimation uh, to 5,000 years, which means another 3,000 years before that. However, that is not, um, is not supported by written records, of course. Uh, so it's, it's really the uh, era of mythology and uh, legend. Um, <clears throat> but of course... Uh, these these ideas, whether true or not, are important for the psychology of, of a people or a nation, if you like to call it that. Um, but it was China was was not a nation as we know it. Uh, it was more an empire, and there there's great differences within within the country, uh, especially between the north and the south. And the the North has generally been dominant, as in this case. When I, you know, I think, uh, Marnix, we need to look at the title of the book, um, mm. The Day of Unity. Mm. Of course, the, um, the Tao was the young exiled boy that became, you know, the Yellow Emperor, the first Augustan Emperor. For me, Marnix, Deism is a philosophy a religion, a way of life that originated in the 6th century BCE in the eastern Chinese province of Henan. At the heart of deism teaching, Marnix, I understand there are four key ideologies. Simplicity, going with the flow, letting go, and harmony. And the Taoist community believe in unity, so this is where the word unity comes into your title. And of course, deism, the religion, deo, this is where it's stemming from. And that nature, not people, controls things. That's what they believe, I understand. Would I be right in my judgment here, my overview? And what's your view around deism and the way that it operated back then? Yes, John, very, very true. Um, it's it spell it it stems from uh, the book of Laozi. Uh, Laozi was the author of a book called the Tao Te Ching, or Tao Te Ching, uh, which is 
known all over the world in hundreds of translations. Um, and the, the curious thing about the, his book, which probably is what makes it so attractive, is that it's it's very enigmatic, a very brief, and um, he he does spell out a philosophy as you have described. The only question is, in my mind, is exactly who he was, and we know even less about him actually than we know about Hogwanza, the pheasant cat master. Uh, but what we do know is that he didn't give anything away. He gave no clues. Uh, he didn't mention a single proper name of a place or a person. Uh, but we believe that he, according to tradition, that he lived maybe about uh, 500 BC, plus or minus, um, maybe actually a bit later. But um, but the, the interesting thing for me is how does it actually re relate to the everyday world? How did it relate to the politics? Because everything probably in China as elsewhere also has a political agenda or significance or influence. And I think um, Haguanza actually may be the answer to this because he, he, by contrast with Lao Tzu, who he quotes, frequently, um, without attribution, but nonetheless, obviously, he, he knew the book. Um, but he, he relates it to every day. He relates it to the, the politics of a world which is still in turmoil and uh, which is being threatened by Qin, which was the powerful country or nation to the, to the west of China, which eventually, of course, would engulf all the others. Um, so he's he's facing this situation where basically we're boots on the ground, and he's trying to relate the kind of ideals of Lao of unity to actually the physical political unity of China, which he he hopes to 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 be achieved in a peaceful way, rather than a away by uh, conquest, which is actually, sadly, the way it turned out. But uh, such is such is the world we live in. Uh, things don't always come up to our ideals. But um, so in a way, he, he may have um, been the, provided a blueprint for a centralized China based on the idea of um, nature centered on the pole stars as they saw it uh being the center of everything uh which is also like the taiji uh, which is the art which uh, we practice for health and self-defense but it's all related to that sort of fundamental unity whether in the body or the universe in, in in the books, um, in the introduction, Monarchs, you talk about, you know, Yao Emperor, uh, Lao Tzu and Qin, nine Augustans reincarnated, grand unity, divine luminaries. Can you embellish uh, you know, a little more here so that the listeners and the viewers get your viewpoint on these areas of importance that are in your book? 
Yes, this was the challenge I faced because these these n names or words thrown around in the book are never explained, and one has to extrapolate um, from the different parts and see whether they, they will form a coherent whole. And as I see it, the the nine Augustans represent the nine stars of the plough or the dipper constellation, the great bear. And in in Chinese tradition, in Taoism, <clears throat> right to the present, the they always saw seven plus two stars. And this this is exactly what uh Huguanza describes. And these stars are a kind of divine luminaries which are the actual maybe the essence of of these rulers who who rule China and the ninth one as I see it is is kind of prophesied to be the one who will fix every everything in the very near future and he was the kind of prototype for the first emperor so in other words the first emperor is kind of incarnate with the ninth Augustan, and he actually chose that term Augustan for his name. So Qin, he called himself Qin Shi Huang Di. A Di is kind of like God, and Huang is what I translate as Augustan, which is a kind of throwback to Rome uh, and the first emperor Augustus. But it's also um, it also has a kind of spiritual meaning of a sort of divine nature and so so this is um this is tying up the idea of the chinese empire roman empire the kind of mystic uh idea of of empire or unity in the political sense and th this is um incarnate in this 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 boy who actually grew up was born in in the state of Zhao, which is where this book is centered. And later uh, he he managed to get back to Qin, and claim the crown. And from there he became the emperor and the the conqueror of the whole world, the China the whole Chinese world at least, uh, and founded the the empire. Um, but Although it was a political thing, it's also a spiritual thing, because he, he th this is not proven, but I think there are a lot of indications that he was actually well, what we might call a Taoist, although the term Taoism uh, was not actually uh, was not actually sort of uh, out there at that time, and <clears throat> the professor at Cambridge has has said to me quite brusquely, there was no Taoism before Han Dynasty, which the Han Dynasty being the one that succeeded the Qin. Um, well, that's a, a question of definition, but certainly Lao Tzu was around before then. And and I think, I think the first emperor was the person who actually put all this into physical form uh, through the empire. And... Um, from that, of course, the Han Dynasty just continued, although they 
they disagreed with some of the Chin's more drastic policies. Uh, but um, there we are. Um, when you look at your book, Marnix, you've split it up into three scrolls. You've yes. got the top scroll, the mid scroll, and the bottom scroll. Correct. Now, I say to quite a few people on the podcast, um, the whole idea is to give a flavour, not to go into in-depth. So there are lots of things within these scrolls, So, but we can't go to them all. If you want to know what all the scrolls are about, got an answer for you. Go and buy the book. <laughs> so, Hopefully it's not too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to, you know, can we have a look at particular aspects of each scroll, please, uh, Marnix? Let's start with top scroll. Um, but I want before we start there, I want you to tell people where these scrolls came from. So where they came from, but I want to go to the top scroll first. Mm-hmm. And I want to go to the... Um, the section um, which is going to take me to Heaven Model, pages 54 to 71. Now, when I look at Heaven's Model, you say Heaven's Model is comparable to the ideas of Plato. Hmm, I thought. To which my research touches on um, well-being, happiness, high virtue and right moral action. Hmm, I thought you make reference to various constellations, as you've already said, some with nine stars mirroring the nine Augustans. So what's the importance of these scrolls? Why have you split them as top, middle and bottom? And where do they originate from? And heavens, well, and Lord, talk about that one. Thank you, John. Um, <clears throat> I I actually just followed the traditional <clears throat> uh well, I can't say manuscript. It was printed uh, a thousand years ago in the Song Dynasty, and this is the way it was arranged. Um, what what they based that on, um, I can't say, of course, because there are no um, surviving scrolls uh, before that. But the <clears throat> the printed version <clears throat> split it into these three scrolls. And I would say that the, the top scroll is is basically centered on the state of Jal, uh, and particularly chapter seven, which is um, is basically facing imp- impending uh, disaster. Uh, and <clears throat> I think this follows the the route of the the Jal army and the slaughter of the surrendered soldiers. Um, which is about 360 BC, sorry, 260 BC. Um, so that's very much in the present, face, facing uh, Chin. Uh, of course, Chin is not mentioned, but the interesting thing is the, the, the there's a kind of taboo in China which whereby you could not mention the personal name of the emperor. And in this case, they always substitute a different word which means the same thing as his name, which was Zheng, meaning basically government or uh, correctness. Uh, now, the second scroll is is more like in the divine realm, where there's a kind of uh, god called Grand Unity, 
and Grand Augustine, and they had a conversation about the ideal world. Uh, and they also they have a kind of blueprint for unification, um, which is based on the 360-day calendar, which is basically a solar calendar rather than the, the moon calendar, which um, was also which was traditional basically. Uh, and the sad, the uncomfortable thing about that is that it's a very draconian system because any anyone who did not report on time according to that calendar would would be uh, not only killed but his family also would would uh, basically be exterminated which obviously doesn't sit very well with our ideas of uh, uh, of and more morality no. but that, that that was the way i'm afraid um, and the the last bit is a kind of retrospective look at history, uh, tracing the, the the different emperor or kings, I should say, of the past, and um, and basically seeing how uh, how different rulers fared. Um, but the uh, the Platonic side of it is um, it's a relation of these values to the stars. Um, because heaven has always been seen as a kind of uh, abstract um, symbol of uh, values, of uh, I what the Plato called ideas, ideas or ideals. Um, now, China has, in, in in popular accounts or even academic accounts, they've always. I've always tended to downplay the idealistic side of of Chinese thought uh, because they say, well, it's it's very pragmatic. But in this mm -hmm. case, it's very far from pragmatic. It has a pragmatic side and also a humanistic side, but it is also very ideal-driven, as one might say that uh, China is today. Um even when, you know, by practical standards, we, we would question some of their directions. Um, but as I suppose, as in, as in religions or political philosophies, there is always this conflict between the, the pragmatic and the ideal. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the middle scroll, Marnix. And now I, I quite like this one. This is why I picked it out. Uh, can we explore royal acts? And this is on pages, uh, everybody, 126 to 157. Again, what's the significance of this section? You, you know, you liken the royal acts to a Roman Ephesus. Now, when I looked up what Ephesus was, it's a bound up bundle of wooden rods which sometimes included an axe protruding from the rods within the middle. Right. So you talk about mandate and punitive empowerment, uh, which I understand refers to restoration of justice. Mm. What, are you what are you driving at here with putting this bit in? Well, the, of course, the first chapter is also talks about this, this royal axe. And again, no no detailed explanation is ever given here uh, so but the the underlying uh, message here is 
is not only of the Tao or the way, not only the moral or spiritual Tao, but there is also the the word fa. Fa is is basically many things, but it can be translated as model. But here it is also very much law, the, the sense of uh, law which needs to be enforced. Uh, and that the axe is 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 always the, the symbol of of the powers of enforcement, uh, the police in our day, or the army, um, the power of the the ruler, which which could be pretty uh, drastic. Oh, <clears throat> and um, so yes, although, although Taoism is is seen as a very mild and uh, Go with the flow type of uh, philosophy. Here it is also allied, paradoxically perhaps, to the the enforcement of uh, by by physical means, uh, which is symbolised by the axe. Ah, so let's go yeah. to the bottom scroll. I'm fascinated with the armed campaign section. You oh, mentioned yeah. um, Zung Zi explaining how uh, man, by understanding dialectical laws of nature, can adapt them by balance and dynamics to his own advantage. Hmm, I thought. Yeah. Would you care to expand and tell the listeners what your thinking is around this philosophical area? Well, Hakuanza himself gives a very... Uh, a very concrete example in the in the sense of somebody picking up a a very heavy uh, pole or beam and he said if if you try to to carry it uh lift it from the from the end then not even a you know a sumo wrestler or the equivalent could lift it but if you carry it from the middle then it, it's quite easy to lift because the two sides balance. And that, that's a concrete idea. Uh, it's an illustration of the power of dynamics, which, which is ah. a combination, it's a combination of position and forces, balancing forces, you might say, which is again, which is the idea of Taiji, I suppose, um, that you, um, you know, I chose to ask. Fun. I chose this section because I wanted to understand as well. That's why I asked it. Okay. Now, I I wanted just to go to because when you look at the book, um, everybody, you know, at the beginning of the book, we've got a lot of photographs headed under um, plates from one to twenty-four, and further on in the book, there are other plates, and, and particularly on page uh, two hundred eighty-five. Why did you choose to put these, you know, these pictures, these photographs in? And when I look at them, they are absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Is they are they there just to back up the book? Um, they are to trying to relate the um, the traditions of Taoism, uh, which is is not only philosophy; it's also a kind of religion whereby. Um, the, these stellar gods, the, these oh. nine gods from the 
the Dipper constellation or the Plough constellation, if you like, um, how they are actually not only uh, just stars or abstract ideas, but they are actually seen as yeah. um, got, got human, you know, embodiments. I like the plate 12. And, you know, when you look at the image, you know, this is a Southern Song painting, uh, 1250 of the Dippers, seven stars in priestly white rose with two. And here we go, seven and two. Um, Mustard garden stars in red with high black caps. It's beautiful. And I know it's in black and white. I just wish it was in colour. <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful. And I picked that one up deliberately because it's the seven and the two, nine, everybody. Yes. What's next for Marnix Wells, both personally and writing? You know, are there more books coming down the pipeline, Dr. Marnix? Um, yes, I have um, the uh, the temple wall paintings uh, in well, of the, the north, the north uh, mountain, north, north mountain range which is a kind of, uh, again, it's connected to the, the North Pole. Uh, it's the god of the, uh, of the North, which, which also has a kind of martial as well as a, um, it's, a, it's a symbol of the position, the throne on which the emperor, emperor sits. And this, this temple, um, <clears throat> For some reason, has been very much neglected, and it's got these amazing color um, paintings, wall paintings, which are mm. uh, are sixty feet high and ninety feet across. And unlike a lot of these, um, say, Buddhist temple paintings, this one is also very much uh, vibrant. Dynamic, you know. There's there's a lot of sense of movement, which is uh, very. Um, I mean, it's almost like being part of a a sort of movie. Um, and um, I've um, I've had a made a contract with some of the authorities about twenty years ago um, to publish them and clean them because they were they were very very dirty and dilapidated, which they have now done. And I've just recently received a copy, so that's that's one thing I would like to write up, and wow. um, also Chinese music and its relation to to lyrics, to poetry, um, and uh, of course martial arts, tai chi, and so forth. So th those I've got my hands full. <laughs> if <laughs> so I live that long. Um, who do you see as your market, uh, Marnix, for um, your books? And more importantly, who would you like to see reading these books of yours? Young, well, old, mixed people? Because you, say, you mm. say this is a book for people who love world history and religion. Yes. Well, I, I would imagine that would be the prime target. But, I mean, of course, I would like as many as possible uh, to to kind of understand what I'm talking about, and um, I'm not sure where academics would how they they would react. I haven't uh, unfortunately received much reaction from the world of uh, academics. Um, perhaps they resent um, someone 
I'm, I'm attempting to kind of bridge the gap between academia and the, the man in the street. And, um, of course, this is very dangerous because, on the one hand, you, you get you get the reaction from maybe many ordinary people saying that, oh, well, this is something outside their interest or their uh, understanding. And on the other hand, you, you get the academics saying, well, uh, actually, um, it's all rubbish. And, um, you know, <laughs> we haven't reviewed, we haven't peered review, we re reviewed it mm. and so forth. Um, but uh, I, I, I would welcome any kind of academic challenge because I, as you can probably see, I've, I've put in a lot of footnotes uh, to back up what I say. Um, and so if somebody has a different interpretation, that would be great. Um, but I'm still cool. waiting. I'm still yeah. waiting for the counterblast, as you might say. Because when you look at your book, yes, you've not only got the English translation, but a, a fair section of it, you've got the Chinese translation in as well. So that's fascinating, everybody. Yeah. Dr. Marnitz, where can people get your book from? Where can they get it? Um, well, I believe it's in Waterstones uh, and Amazon. Um, so that would that would probably be the best source. Uh, it's also online, I think. Um, so um, if they Google it, they should something should come up. Okay. Dr. Marnix Wells, thank you so much for giving me the great pleasure of um, interviewing you, chatting to you about your book. Um, That's great. Thank you, John. I've certainly learned quite a bit from it, everybody, uh, particularly about deism and unity yeah. and and as Dr. Marnitz has already said, you know, the link between, you know, the, the constellation of the Great Bear, um, you know, seven and two, nine, nine Augustans, and linking it all up to the Roman Empire as well as the Chinese Empire. And it's just been fascinating. But it's not a bedtime read. It's a book to learn about the ancient Chinese culture, religion, philosophy, politics, all linked up through a young boy back in 250 BC. Thank you, John. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you are in the world. So until next time, stay safe. Mm -hmm.